And I was, as I was preparing and uh, praying about this message, you know, I was, remember, how many of you have seen the movie Remember the Titans? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Denzel Washington's the coach, and they've got the team, and of course, you know, they go through all of this conflict and all these things, but I was remembering this part of the movie when it's really right before, I believe it was the championship game, and he gives his guys a speech, and he's like, you know, guys, you're already winners, you're this and you're that, and he's saying all these things, and he's like, but this is what I... This is what I kind of his charge to them was make them remember the Titans today. Make them and and play in a way that they are going to remember you. You know, and there's something in that and even for us that I believe, um, even for us as believers, as Christians, and even for those of us who have been walking this way for a long time, is that there's something about remembering that is powerful. Let me say it this way. There's something about remembering that can be powerful. Some things you don't need to remember. Some things you need to let go of. Some things you need to forget. Some things, you know, I mean, we just say, thank you, Jesus, and we move on. And, um, you know, but even in the sense of what is happening and what we celebrate as Christians, as believers, through Easter and, and really through this whole week, because if Jesus didn't go through what he went through in this week, Easter wouldn't quite have all the significance. But Easter is so meaningful because of what took place prior to. And here in Isaiah 53, it talks about really what Jesus would do. It was actually a messianic prophecy about Christ. Now this was written approximately 700 years before Christ ever came on the scene. Now, you know, God always shows us his wisdom in this is that I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do before I'm going to do it. And so he had laid out um, really his plan throughout Scripture. And, uh, you know, in, in, in even in uh, 1 Corinthians, it talks about that there was the hidden wisdom of the ages. In other words, God's plan, nobody really knew what was going on or how he was going to do it. And they had thoughts. And he says, but now it's been revealed unto us. So we can actually understand and see God's plan and God's purpose. And so I want to look at some things just to kind of stir you up a little bit this morning as we're kind of walking through this week and just encouraging you and hopefully stirring up some desires. But here in Isaiah 53, we're going to start in verse 1. The prophet writes and he says, Who has believed our message and to whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? He says, My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a uh, tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground says there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. So in other words, there was nothing outwardly about Jesus that you would have been like, hey, that guy's probably the Messiah. He was just a normal person. I mean, you think about it, that even when he shows up in the fullness of his ministry, the people that he grew up with were even asked, where did he get this kind of wisdom? We know him. We know where he grew up. So that tells you, even in his growing up years, even though at 12 he was amazing people with the wisdom... In the temple, they still didn't put the pieces together. You know, and and so there was nothing about him outwardly that would necessarily be like, you know, he's the Messiah. But it goes on and it says in verse 3, it says that he was despised and rejected. It says he was a man of sorrows, acquainted acquainted with the deepest of grief. Now, I think this is interesting here because really, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we can make Jesus somebody that... We just can't relate to. Like, he's my savior, but he can't understand what I'm facing. And yet, even here, I mean, you think about Jesus' best friends all stabbed him in the back. So he understands betrayal. 
Even when he told them, look, all of you are going to flee. And they said, no, we will never. Peter's like, I will die with you. And Jesus says, hey, by tomorrow. So Jesus, and even, you know, and I don't know that even from Scripture that we can fully understand even the magnitude of that statement. But it says that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with the deepest of grief. It says we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. It says he was despised and we did not care. In verse 4. So that's a little bit of the history, if you will. And starting in verse 4, now this begins talking about the present time that we're actually in the really the start of celebrating. Even this week it says, Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried, and it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, and he was crushed for our sins. It says he was beaten so that we could be made whole. Says he was uh, whipped so that we could be made healed, so that we could be made whole. And so we see even really the the walk. Uh, and we most of you know the story. If you don't, go look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You can familiarize yourself with it very well. But here it's really laying out for us why and what Jesus was doing. You know everything that happened to him. During this week, during this time, during really the build up to his uh, crucifixion and ultimately to his resurrection, all had meaning and all had purpose. There was nothing that he went through that wasn't by design, that wasn't by God's knowledge and God's wisdom ahead of time. I mean, everything from the nails in his hands and his feet to the crown upon his head to even the robes that they would put on him and the, the insults and even the piercing of his side. I mean, everything was by God's design. Now, I know that seems like morbid and all kinds of crazy, but why? Because there was a price. There, there was something that had to be paid for. Ultimately, it was the price of sin, but yet it was so much more than just that. It's so much deeper than just that. Here it talks about, it says that Christ was carrying our weaknesses. That he was taking our sorrow upon himself. See, for us as believers, even today, I think it's important that we remember why Jesus did what he did. Because it wasn't for himself. He didn't need to go through any of this. And yet the Bible says that he willingly, voluntarily chose to lay down his life for many. We're those many today. We're some of those many today. I'll say it that way. There's people... From thousands of years back to millions upon millions upon millions of people today that are part of that multitude that he willingly lays down his life for. It goes on in verse 6 here and it says that all of us like sheep have strayed away. It says we have left God's path to follow our own and yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. One uh, commentator wrote this about this particular verse. And he says, The innocent was punished as if he was guilty, so that the guilty might be rewarded as if innocent. Jesus, who was perfect, spotless, walked blameless before the Lord, became absolute guilt. Why? So that we who were guilty could become absolutely spotless and blameless before the Lord. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of Christ. That's the beauty of the God that we serve. Is that he had a plan all along. Obviously, we all know. I don't have to tell you. We all fall short. We all miss it. We all have, don't measure up in areas. But that's why we have it. That's why we call it a beautiful gospel. 
It's not based off of what we do or what I've done or what you've done or any of those things. It has everything to do with what Christ has done for us. And now we get to celebrate, not just that we're going to heaven, not just that somehow we've been forgiven of sin, but now that we get to live an entirely new type of life. That we no longer have to be bound. We no longer have to be sick. We no longer have to be tormented even in our mind. Why? Because it was all laid upon Christ. Everything was laid upon Him. Everything that we should have been and weren't, He took willingly. And yet, if we, you know, if we don't take the moments, and in a few moments, to think and to remember what He has done for us, we can just kind of kick it into autopilot and live day to day, not realizing what we're missing out on, which is the power that came out of that grave. That ability that came alive on the inside of us that now enables us to to live a completely different type of life. One empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because Jesus changed everything. He made a shift, not just then, but even today. Even for me, even for you. It goes on here in verse 7. And it says that he was oppressed and treated harshly. And yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Think about him standing with Pontius Pilate, and he says, Don't you know that I have power to free you? And Jesus says nothing, and Pilate gets frustrated, and he keeps kind of probing him, saying, Hey, talk to me. The only thing Jesus says, Look, you'd have no power unless my Father gave it to you. He's just silent. He he never responds to those accusations against him. It says in verse 8, unjustly condemned, he was led away. It says no one cared that he died without descendants and that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. It says in verse 9, he had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. It says he was buried like a criminal, but he was put in a rich man's grave. Now, this gives us a picture of really this week and those last few days of Christ's life, of everything that was really the build up and even as him hanging on the cross. It talks about that even just the sight of him, that people would look away just because of disgust. I mean, when you really study it out, they say that he was really not even recognizable as a man, which is, I mean, just, I mean, I, you know, the best depiction that I know of is the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ. And yet, I don't even think that even really gives us an idea. I mean, I think it gives us a glimpse. And that was hard enough to watch. You know, I mean, that's not on your top five, like, let's have a good night movies, right? Why? Because it, it's a visual, but I, I believe it does give us a picture. And yet, there's beauty in that for us. Amen. Even though, you know, and it didn't just say that, you know, well, the people that loved him didn't want to look. Even the people who had put him there, I believe, probably didn't even want to see the sight. But yet that speaks of better things for us. Is that Christ gave himself as a sacrifice to lay down his life, to give up all that he was. So that we could in exchange become all that he is. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not up to us and it's not up to our trying to figure this out. It's about us saying, God, I surrender my life at all areas to you. 
And it's that, that great moment, that great exchange before really um, what we have to offer God, which is not a whole lot other than just ourselves. Lord, whatever I have is yours. And I just ask you to use it for your glory. That's why Jesus came. Well, so that ultimately it was to put what? Man back in right relationship with God. It was to repair the breach, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, there became a gap between man and God. And from that moment, God began to work his plan to say, I've already got redemption in mind. And so we see the fulfillment of it through this in this passage of scripture here. As we see where Jesus took stripes upon his back so that what? So that we can actually walk in health and healing today. It actually even talks about even mental torment. That he actually had to deal with the effects of the curse that's on the earth. Why? So that we can now walk in freedom. We don't have to be weighed down and bound. So in every respect, you could say it this way, is that Jesus died for all three parts of our being, spirit, soul, and body. He was separated from God on the cross. What were some of his last words? My, my God and my Father, why have you left me? He was separated from the Father so that we wouldn't have to be. He took sickness upon his body so that we could be well. He took, um, you know, oppression and even uh, mental anguish upon himself. Why? So that we could be free by the power of God. He took sorrow upon himself. Why? So that we can now have great hope. He, he's the one who made the great change and the difference for us as believers today. Salvation is so much more than just looking forward to one day going to heaven. That there is a present reality. Present uh, working in our lives so that we can live and be differently. It was all by God's plan. It was all by God's design. Now in verse 10... The, Really, we're watching the history of, of what has happened to Jesus up to this point. But even here in verse 10, we see where things begin to shift a little bit. And, and really, God begins to unfold His plan. But it says in verse 10 that it was the Lord's good plan to crush Him and to cause Him grief. God called it good. Not because it was good of what was happening to Christ, but it was good because of what would come out of it. And what would come from it. It says, yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. And he will enjoy long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. I love verse 11. For years and years and years, I just kind of glazed over this. And one day it really um, stuck out to me. And I believe this is what uh, makes the story of, of redemption so beautiful. It says, when he, being Jesus, sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. Now, I've shared this before, but this is the way I like to think of this. Is that when we stand before the Lord, Jesus will look at us remembering what he went through. And he would look at every one of us and say, you were worth it. I love that it says that he will be satisfied. He will see the rewards of his sacrifice and say it was worth it. He would be satisfied. 
One commentary says this about this particular verse. I thought it was pretty neat. It says, um, when he sees such blessed fruits resulting from his uh, suffering as ample to repay him for them. So let me say it like this, is that when Jesus looks at us, he won't feel short, like he got the short end of the stick. That somehow he got robbed in the deal. That somehow what he did and what he got for it was just not enough. He's going to say, no, it was ample. It was more than enough. That when he sees the mass of humanity that will stand before him and declare him as king and as Lord, he will say, this is way more. This was worth every moment. And it's, I, I, I don't know how we can wrap our brains around that moment. But yet I do believe scripture is true. And I believe that it declares the heart of, a, of our Savior. When he sees what all has been accomplished because of his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my servant will, be, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. How many of you are counted righteous this morning? Amen. It's because of Christ. Yes. Because he, he willingly laid down his life. And it would do us well to remember Christ. To remember what He's gone through. That His blood still speaks of better things today. Whether we realize that or not. The Bible says that He took His own blood and poured it out on the mercy seat of God in heaven. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness. There's no washing away of sin. And so what they had been doing in the Old Testament through types and shadows and uh, that Christ came to fulfill it once and for all. By his own blood, by, by his own life being sacrificed. Why? So that we now could live in righteousness. What does the word righteous mean? Right standing. It means that now we as believers, not that we're perfect... None of us are perfect, but we are righteous. Because we're righteous, we don't have to be perfect. Praise the Lord. Perfection hung on a cross for us. So in that moment, perfection for us was no longer the object of what we were shooting for. We're not trying to be perfect. We do want to walk in righteousness. The ability to be righteous is very simply to be able to come and stand before a holy God without guilt, without shame, without fear. That's what righteousness really is about. Is it? I mean, we were just saying, you're a good father. I'm not afraid to go stand before God. You know, I kind of make the joke that I may be a mess, but I'm a holy mess. I'm a redeemed mess. That I don't have to try to make everything right. And every, why? Because I have an understanding of what Jesus has done and provided for me. Amen. That reality will change your life. Yes. I'm not trying to become something. Christ has made me something. Yes. Now it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to work in my life. Doesn't mean God doesn't work in our heart. Doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to continually be in a, a growth process. That's why we have to be renewed, the Bible says. Day after day, yes. 
But when it comes to what Jesus did, he's the one who declared, hey, it's finished. He left nothing unturned. He left nothing undone. His sacrifice was complete 100%. I'm not trying to complete his salvation for me. I'm not trying to somehow earn it in some way. No, his work was complete. It was finished. So now I'm walking in the light of what he's done for me. And I'm learning more and more and more. And hopefully I would encourage you to be learning more and more. Why? Because when you get understanding, you can walk in wisdom. Then you get to experience more of what is available to us. We have many rights, many privileges as as believers. The the word of God is chalked full of promises to us. But we have to look into scripture even here in Isaiah as it talks about. Is that Jesus laid himself down wholly, completely by his own desire, voluntarily laying himself down. So that we could become righteous. So that we could become like him. So that now we can go into the presence of God without fear, without shame, without guilt. All of those things. We all have a past, but in Christ it's, it's over. But sometimes it's good to remember the hopelessness of my past too. And remember what it was like to not walk with Jesus. As human beings, we have a unique ability to remember things as better than they actually were. Like, have you ever gone back to, like, your childhood home and you're thinking, this ain't quite what I thought it was. Like, man, I, you know, like, I remember we, we moved into a house when I think I was six. And there was a fort in the backyard, which I thought was, like, you know, 50 feet high. It was probably, like, 10 maybe. And I remember jumping out of it. And we had a tire swing out there that my dad crawled up there. And I remember swinging on it thinking I was so high. And I went back as an adult. And I just, and, of course, you know, the tire swing was actually still there. The fort had been torn down. And, um, but I just remember looking at the yard cause I remember thinking I played baseball in the backyard and I would act like I was playing like in Fenway park or something, you know, and it's just a normal backyard. And I remember thinking it's so big, you know, I could never hit the ball over that house. That's just right there, you know, and just as a kid, remember how big it was and then going back and it's like, wow, this is different than what I remember. You know, That same thing can happen to us. If we don't remember where the Lord has brought us from, we'll kind of have some rosy memories. Like, oh, it was so great. Occasionally, I like to go back and think about where I was when God found me. When I encountered the grace of God for the first time. Why? Because it reminds me of where I've come from and where I don't want to go back to. It keeps me from taking for granted what God has done in my life. Now, I'm not dominated by those things. I'm not defined by those things. That's not what I'm saying. But I don't want to forget them either. Because I never want to take what God has done in me for granted. And I want to walk in, in the light of Scripture and reminding myself to see, man, Jesus has done everything. But now I get to live in His ability. I get to live in His grace. So many can now be counted as righteous. It says, for he will bear the sins of many. The Amplified Bible here says that he being Christ would bear the responsibility for our sins. Christ would bear the responsibility for our missteps, for our shortcomings. 
It says in verse 12 that God would give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death and he was counted among the rebels and he bore the sins of many and he interceded even for rebels. God has declared that, hey, I will exalt him and I will lift him up. See, this is the story of the gospel for us. Is that we glorify God by allowing him to work in our lives. By allowing his presence to to change and to mold us and to shape us into the image of Christ. Well, there's some transformation that's going to be happening for that process to take place, yes. But realizing that, look, it's a finished thing. Now, I have to, you know, I said it a few minutes ago. I have to walk in light of Scripture, yes. Absolutely, we all do. But realizing, hey, it is a finished work, and we just get to now walk in and to receive of what God has for us. I was reading something, I came across this, and I, I thought it was just an interesting way to look at it. It talks about atonement, which is uh, really the atonement simply means the price necessary that had to be paid. When you go to the store and buy something, they're going to say, hey, that's X number of dollars. Why? Because somebody has placed a value on that and said, hey, you know, that candy bar is going to cost you $1.50, which is ridiculous. But somebody says a candy bar is $1.50, right? Well, atonement says, hey, this is the price necessary to be paid for it. God said the price to be paid for sin was innocent blood. Perfect, spotless, innocent blood. Says So atonement... Uh, was made for our sins. And this is the only way to salvation. He says, Our sins were the thorns on Christ's head, the nails in His hands and His feet. They were the spear in His side. And He was delivered to death for our offenses. It says, By His sufferings, He purchased us for the Spirit and by the grace of God. Christ purchased us. And the Bible actually talks of this. It says that we were bought with the blood of Christ. We've been ransomed. That's the, that would be a more modern word. We've been bought back. We've been bought back to the, to the Father because of what Christ has done for us. In the message translation of verse 10, here of Isaiah 53, it says, it was God's, or, It's what God had in mind all along, to crush Him with pain. It says, The plan was that He would give Himself as an offering for sin, So that he'd see more life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of the terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and he'll be glad that he did it. He'll be glad. Christ would be glad that he had laid down his life. That it wasn't meaningless, it wasn't pointless. That we actually get to walk in the power of resurrection. I mean, the Bible says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, Romans talks about this, that it even quicken and cause strength to come even to our physical bodies. That's a pretty amazing promise. The very same power that raised Christ would also quicken us, strengthen us, cause us to come alive. Even in our physical bodies. All of that was created because Christ laid down his body. The power that we experience in our physical bodies is because he laid his down. See, that, that's the beauty. That, that's the beauty of the message for us. Now, Hebrews chapter 12 
gives us a little more insight into this moment. Even during this time and this, uh, these days leading up to Christ's ultimate crucifixion. Now, Hebrews 12.1 talks about, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, basically says, hey, since we've seen all these people live by faith, let it spur you on to live by faith. But in verse 2, it gives us the how to do this. It's not just enough to say, okay, well, I'm going to live by faith because this is just what I'm supposed to do. This is, you know, what Christian people do. We do the Bible. But here in verse 2, it says, we do this. So we, we live a life by faith. We run our race. By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He says, for the joy that was awaiting him, he endured the cross and and disregarding its shame. says, now he is seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. Right now, Christ is seated to the right hand of the Father. That's the seat of authority. That's the seat of power. And here's the thing. The Bible says that we are now seated with Christ right now. My pastor in Kansas gave an illustration one time and I never forgot it. And I liked it. He said there's not a lot of little thrones. Like there's Jesus' throne and then all of us like little pygmy pygmy thrones next to Jesus. He said, no, there's one throne. And the Bible says we're seated with him. That's why the Bible talks about the, the, that we are in Christ, in Him, in whom. It's called the in Him realities that Paul wrote about. Why? Because I no longer identify by myself. I now identify by what has been done for me. And even as it says here is that Christ, that we live this life by what? Staying focused on Jesus. Let me say it this way. That we live this life successfully for God. Remembering Him. You know, every time we take communion, that's what we're doing. We are remembering the sacrifice that was made. The body that was broken. The blood that was shed for us. I mean, that's the instructions that that we're given about communion. Is to remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. And if we'll remember what Christ has done for us, it will change the way we live tomorrow. I don't care if you've been saved a week, 10 years, whatever. If we will remember what Christ has done, what he's made of, it will change our day-to-day life. Why? Because if he would go to that length, what we were reading there in Isaiah 53, if he would go to that length as we've seen depicted in the Passion movie, how much more would he not help us now? I mean, the Bible says if God didn't spare his own son... How much more will he not freely give us all things? How much more? If he didn't stop short in Christ, what about the problems you're facing right now? What about the things that you're anxious about, you're worried about, you're fretting about, those things that dominate your thoughts that you lost sleep over last night? What about those reasons that you don't want to have to get up and go to work tomorrow? Those things that are weighing on you. I mean, Jesus came so that we could actually walk in freedom, to walk in grace, not weighed down. He was weighed down so that we wouldn't have to be. doesn't mean that we don't have problems, but it means that there is now grace for us to walk above those problems. doesn't mean that, I mean, sometimes I think we get the idea of like, well, you know, if, 
what you're saying is that I'm never going to have problems. That's not what I'm saying. We live in a world with problems. But there is an ability on the inside of every one of us because of being believers. That now I can actually walk above those problems. I can walk through those problems. I can come out on the other side of those problems as victorious, triumphant. I mean, we call this, you know, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. The triumphant entry of Christ. Yet we can live triumphantly now. But yet, how do we do this? Remember Christ. Remembering Him, looking to Him, always focusing on Him. Why? Because He's the one who showed us how. And it says here that for the joy that was set before Him. We are not to live sad, mundane lives. One of the fruits, one of the expressions of the Holy Spirit in our life is joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if you're not joyful, guess what? The enemy already has an advantage over you. And it doesn't mean that circumstances are great and I'm happy. That's not joy. Joy says, in spite of my circumstances, in spite of this moment that I'm looking at, I choose to be joyful. Why? Because I have a Savior who I remember. And because I can remember what He has done, I choose and can be joyful even in this moment to the point where people around us should be like, you're kind of different. Thank you. I take that as a compliment. Yes, I am. Man, I don't know if you know this. The Bible does say that you are a peculiar people. I mean, you know, I didn't say that about you. God said that about all of us. He said He's called you to be peculiar. Not in a weird sense, but in a different sense. Why? Because now we have hope. We have joy. We, we actually can live. Why? Because of what all Christ walked for us. He walked our path so we wouldn't have to. And that's the, that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of scripture. And he did it by joy. It says that he endured the shame. He endured the cross. He endured everything that came along with this moment that we celebrate this week. Because of the joy. Why? Because he, he, he was looking forward to that moment where he would see a mass of humanity with a smile on his face and say, you were absolutely worth it. Amen. That he would be overly satisfied in that moment and say, this is the fruit of my sacrifice. Amen. See, that's what your Savior would say to you today. You were worth it. Doesn't mean that we're all that God wants us to be in this moment, but we're getting there. We're working towards it. God's not finished yet. That's the beauty of the gospel. It is. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to line up all these things. I just have to really come to the place where I realize because of Christ, I'm now righteous. Because of Christ, you are now righteous. Not perfect. Righteous. But if you're like me, you get caught up on the trying to be perfect. And like, I'm going to do everything. You're like a hamster on a wheel. You're just running and going nowhere. 
But yet when I can actually come to that place where I can in my heart fully understand. I have been made the righteousness of God because of Christ. Not because of me, not because of anything I've done, not because of anything I've deserved. But out of his goodness and out of his desire to work. Now I get to experience all that God has for me. See, that's what we celebrate this week. And so even this, as we're going about this week and as we're going through this week, I, I started this morning with this is just to encourage you. Take some time this week. Spend a little extra time focusing on the Lord. Now, when I say a little more time, it might be five minutes. Get you a little devotional on your phone. You can read them. They take about five minutes a day. Just go on your phone. Get on the computer. Do whatever you got to do. Grab your Bible. And ask the Lord to, to really open up so that you can see, even with joy, regardless of my moment and my, this moment that I'm walking in right now, God, I choose to have joy today. I choose to have joy in this moment. I, I choose to have joy in this season right now. Why? Because there's power in joy. The work of the Holy Spirit is in joy in our lives. See, and that's the way that God Desires to work in our hearts and in our lives. That power comes when we make those kinds of choices. The life of God, the ability, it comes alive when we make those kinds of choices. God, I'm not moved by my circumstances. But I choose to focus upon Jesus. And when we do that, I believe that the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit can flow through us in a greater way than we've ever experienced. And I believe that if you'll do that, if you'll take that time in this next week... Easter will have a little bit more meaning for you this year. You'll have a little bit more reason to celebrate. Some of you might need to look back and remind yourself of where Christ has brought you from. Some of you just need to remind yourself of the Savior who laid down his life. And what he did for you. Because it creates this this heart of thankfulness. Of gratitude. Of saying, God, man, what you've done in me. It's so much greater and beyond anything I could have ever asked or hoped for. And that's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we um, spend that time. That's why, and I believe it's a yearly reminder. God knew we would forget, so he put it on the calendar, right? And that's what we get to celebrate.